My guest today is a sales director with social media platform LinkedIn. She is described by one colleague as one of the best directors I've ever had the privilege of working with. She truly inspired me to do my best work and do what's best for our customer. She has a rare ability of creating the Rocky scenario, where she makes you feel like you're Rocky Balboa and she's your biggest cheerleader and coach. At the end of the day, she's there to support you and ensure mutual success. Another colleague goes on to add, she had such a phenomenal impact at LinkedIn and to me personally. Her knowledge of managing a global team and industry expertise is second to none. Another colleague says, along with her undeniable talent, Cara has always been an absolute joy to work with. She is a true team player and always manages to foster positive discussions and bring the best out in other employees. Cara is a natural leader and mentor that leads with genuine passion and enthusiasm. With her unrivaled knowledge, professionalism and positivity, I've gained a vast amount of valuable skills during our time working together. Carol Leary, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Paul. Wow. I, I don't know what to say to that. Um, I don't remember my colleagues saying such lovely things, but it's certainly nice to hear them back. Thank you for having me today. Not at all. My pleasure. It's all on your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> I'll be sure to read it later. It's a wonderful <laughs> platform. You just go in there and whenever you're having one of those days, just read those. And I only selected literally three. And, and I had to cut them down because they were too long for me to read the entire things out. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's gratifying always with those things. And uh, and and there's interesting because there's a nice theme in there as well, which comes across, which is about your sense of caring professionalism, which often people can sort of struggle to get that in balance. People can kind of take on this mantle of being really professional and forget that there's an important caring side. I'm just curious, is that something you're conscious of as as, as a sales leader? Um, I, su I suppose I am, to be honest. And I think that, you know, maybe traditionally sales was seen as quite a a male domain. It was, you know, the, I guess years ago you would have seen like salespeople, it would have been salesmen and it would have been quite a, a yeah, more of a male dominated industry. And I think more and more we're seeing that changing and we're seeing more and more women joining sales in an IC role and working their way up to management, senior management. And I think that has an impact. And I think everybody likes being cared for and well looked after, whether it's at home or at work. And so I do think it's important to look after people. So here's what I'm really curious about with this. I went to an all boys school and often wondered what it would have been like to be in a mixed sex school. And I can imagine, certainly if you go with the stereotype of the all male uh, sales team, and you, you kind of have in mind, I'm sure it's not 100% true, like all stereotypes, there's an element of truth about them. It's the boiler room, it's the, the lad's humor. And I'm curious to know what you feel, for example, as a woman coming into, not as an individual woman, but women coming into that profession, what, what you're bringing that may not be there. And, and, I, and this is the really important bit is, how have you seen men change in response to that? Yeah, I think, so it's a tough one because it's not as though I have seen that per se. So I haven't come into a very, you know, male team and, and seeing that team transform. I think I've been very lucky um, with the men that I've worked with who are very progressive, very normal, I would say, in terms of how they view the world. What I do think is important though is, you know, we talk about diversity, um, but also it's a, it's about the diversity of thought. So it's about when you're in that meeting and you're you're talking about something, if everyone around the table is the same or similar, then, you tend not to have to say, you, you know, you tend to maybe bring up a topic, everyone agrees and you quickly move on. Whereas when you have different people, different backgrounds, male, female around the table, there tends to be a little bit more diversity. People think a little bit differently. And so you have different voices. And for me, I feel that that means we get to a better outcome. And when mm. you think about it from a customer's perspective, so 50 years ago or whatever, when sales teams were all male, the, the customers weren't. So you were still, you had a team of men selling to both men and women. And, you know, to, to have, 
no representation of the, the customer on the sales team means that you're not always sure how to adapt your selling style to ensure that you are answering your customer's ask if some of your customers are women, right? So if there's nobody to say, oh, I, I don't know how that would appeal or I don't think from a female perspective, that's the best way to position it, then I, I think there was probably a lot of lost sales due to that. And I think that's different now. I think when we have men and yeah. women around the table, it tends to be a very different team dynamic. Um, maybe cr we create more space for people to have their own opinions and to share their opinions more openly. Mm. And what do you think that they bring separately as, as, as a body, as a group where you're saying, okay, we're bringing in diversity and I, and I get that as a, you know, an individual level, regardless of sex, you have a diversity of experiences and personality types that for sure from a gender role perspective, where do you feel there's when we talk about diversity, what, what do you feel they're bringing that, may not be present in a non-diverse other than a broader i'm looking for more specifics i guess in terms of what are the attributes that that they individually sorry that that as as genders they they bring to the table sure so, so more collectively yeah, um, yeah more collectively for sure so i think it's also it's not just about the gender piece right so if i think back again you know historically speaking a sales team would have been quite extrovert it would have been, you know, the people on the team maybe would have been similar. It would have been, if I said a boys club, you know, down to the pub on a Friday night or and, and quite a similar type of person. It was probably about bringing your friends and the team just got to be more similar and more of a group think scenario. And now I think by having, yes, men and women, but also people, maybe that has created the space for within a specifically within a sales environment for people who are introverts to think maybe yeah. this is a career that that I could follow maybe I don't have to be down the pub on a Friday night or maybe I don't have to want to go to football games on a Saturday or whatever that might look like but I, I think it has really opened up that space mm. not just for men or women but for introverts extroverts for people from different backgrounds for people to think about sales as a career and and I have seen like I, and I, I wouldn't group it into here's what men bring to sales and here's what women bring to sales because mm. I don't think that's the way it works. I think you can have men and women who are very similar, um, mm. men and men who are very different, for example. But I do think it has opened up the sale sales as a career to people who traditionally mm. would have thought that's probably not for me. So people who are maybe quieter, people who are you know, more consultative rather than mm. quite extrovert in terms of how they sell yeah. people who bring the customers maybe on a different journey and and that has been i would say a refreshing experience for customers mm. also mm. for sure uh that that brings up another question around the impact working from home then because i can imagine working from home has brought relief and pressure to people for example I know as an introvert working in teams, there was often pressure to, as you say, go out on Friday afternoon for drinks and you're going, I really don't want to go, right? I'd rather go home or I'd rather go sit somewhere quietly in a park, whatever, right? So there's pressure when there's groups as well to conform to that, that I think working from home has may, maybe relief, but also then you're not benefiting also as much, I, I think. And I'm curious to know what you think, for, uh, what you see the impact, both positive and negative. Of working from home? Yeah, of working, specifically working from home. And that seems to be a trend. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we talk specifically about sales teams and salespeople, I think it has been, I, I guess, a combination. So I would say everyone can think about, well, here are the positives to working mm -hmm. from home. And here are the downsides of working from home. Mm. So for me, I think there's a, I, I suppose there's a couple of things. It, you know, I, I things that I hear back, whether it's on the platform or from employees directly around, you know, no commute. So it gives people back a lot of time in terms of, you know, just even enjoying time with their family or maybe having time to go for a run or a cycle or a swim in the morning. So I think that has made a difference. So I think there are definite positives for people um, and there are downsides for people. So that connectedness that we feel in the office, the support, the ability to kind of spin your chair around and ask for advice from a colleague or, you know, after you've had it, maybe a difficult call with somebody that you can come off that call and just vent with someone in the office. And maybe it's a small thing. So it's not something that you would go to the trouble of 
ringing somebody about to discuss, but you're on your own, you're at home and it can be, mm -hmm. that can be difficult for people. But for I think sure. you're right. I think there are, there are people for whom it has been better and people for whom it has been worse. So mm -hmm. I know lots of my colleagues and, you know, we're very fortunate. We have a wonderful office environment and we love the fact that our team is co-located. So there's a large group of us together in our Dublin office. And I think all of us miss that, right? The feeling of connectedness. We've just been through our fiscal year end. We all missed the buzz in the office and just the ability to share celebrations and, and you know, wins together as a team. Um, but you're right. For some people, it has definitely made life easier. You know, there's not the same pressure. Not You don't have to be in the office. You don't have to maybe wear that mask that some people feel the need to wear in the office environment. Um, but also it's probably impacted different people in different ways, both within a sales team and across the world. So I would say, and, and, you know, I know you and I spoke about this previously, but I have certainly been all too aware of the reports and the articles that have been written about how this has impacted women, um, mm -hmm. more so than it has impacted our, our male counterparts in terms of, yeah. I suppose, the, the fact that still even today in most home environments um women tend to pick up the majority of the house related or childcare related work and mm -hmm. that hasn't stopped so in covid when people have been working from home and and I've been there myself I have uh four boys and so there is definitely that added pressure there was homeschool to be done there was you know looking after small kids and it looks as though it is mainly women who have picked up a lot of that during the, the last kind of 18 months. And also we've seen that a lot of women have stepped out of the workforce because of this. So maybe theirs was the job that was less well paid, or maybe they were working in industries which were more heavily impacted, like the hospitality industry or the retail industry. But, you know, I saw one article refer to it as a, a she session rather than a recession. Um, and it's just heartbreaking to think that, you know, we were moving in the right direction in terms of gender parity and equality in the workplace. And now because of COVID-19, that has taken a hit. And for me, I feel like we have to, we really have to think about, well, how do we work harder to get back some of the gains that we've lost? Because we weren't there yet from a gender parity perspective. And, and now we've been set back. Do you think that's also that there's, that some of that comes from our response to COVID rather than COVID itself. For example, if you go to Sweden, where we didn't have the same uh, lockdown and restrictions that we had here, uh, school went on. So, for example, there was no then need for a parent to stay at home. And you're right, it would predominantly fall on women. But when you take away that need because the schools continued, then that... And I just wondered how much we've gotten the, the response to it maybe overblown, which has impacted. And I think it's what I'm hearing from you is the, it's the law of unintended consequences of other things that happen, that, that we're, we're going in a certain direction. And I don't think those forces personally have changed, but the restrictions have hobbled them in many respects. Yeah, and I think, look, you know, Hindsight is a wonderful thing. And, and in many ways, you know, we could look back and go, we shouldn't have done this and we shouldn't have done that. And mm. we should have reacted the way that country reacted. Genuinely, I, I think every government tried to do the best that they could mm. do um, during what was a really difficult time. So for me, I think, you know, now we need to think about what has happened has happened. But mm. how do we move forward? Mm. How do we like what we yeah. now have is what we have. So mm. how do we improve it moving forward? Because looking back and thinking if only we had done things differently mm. sure. isn't going to get us to where we need to be. Yeah. So to your question, then, how do we move forward? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I mean, I, I don't have the answers, right? Or I'd, I'd probably be in a very different job if I had the answers to how we drive gender parity across the world. Um, but I do think it's there's an onus and a responsibility on every on every employer, certainly, and also on every individual to think about what's the role that we can play? How are we being a voice for underrepresented groups, whether in this circumstance it might be women in terms of ensuring parity in the workplace or any underrepresented group? And we know that, right? It's the only way underrepresented groups can move forward is if they have allies. 
Because if they're not in the room when things are being discussed, somebody in that room has to be their voice. So we need to be thinking about how are we ensuring that, you know, I suppose from a government perspective, what are we doing about childcare? What are we doing about ensuring that there are the right legislations in place to make sure that parity of pay is a requirement? You know, so that's for every government around the world. And I think there have been good steps forward in that regard. But also while there is, I suppose, as individuals, what we need to think about in our own homes is, is there parity? You know, do we have an equal partnership at home? Is there space for both men and women to go out to work, to work equally, to have the same opportunities? And then as parents, how are we creating that space for the next generation? So are we creating, um, I suppose, are we creating a norm where we're saying to our kids, it's here's the norm. Men go out to work, women go out to work. Men look after the kids, women look after the kids. We try and do things equally. Everything is everyone's responsibility rather than mum looks after this and dad looks after that. Mm. And I think, so for me, that's really important. And that would be something that that I try to focus on with my sons. I'm, I'm wondering if I understood you correctly, what you're saying is, is, is obviously to individuals. And, and I would agree with that. And I'm wondering outside of couples negotiating or agreeing, not negotiating, but agreeing amongst themselves, how they want to um, manage their, their, their setup, what else can be done other than that? Because again, I know with my wife and, and I, we had a different arrangement, but that was again, her, her decision. She had, was working and at her first child, she decided she, she wanted to stay at home. I was absolutely fine with it. Now that put pressure on me to make sure uh, you know, so, so there's, there's, there's choices, but, but again, it was negotiated between us and we have ownership of that. Um, and I'm wondering, is there anything more that can be done other than maybe give people as, as they, as they grow up, the sense of that here's the options and here's how you negotiate your way through these options and that yeah, they're all valid, but they're 100%. individual. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, also it's not to say everyone should be going out to work. There mm. absolutely will, should be homes where one parent decides, actually, I'm gonna stay at home, but it shouldn't always be the mum. And I think as a society, we should expect that sometimes mums will stay at home to look after the kids and raise the family, and sometimes dads will. But, I have volunteered so, that, by the way, Cara, and I know we're at least, <laughs> and she just laughs her head off. Told said, no. I would not trust you to make a cup of tea. <laughs> what can I say? Well, and, and there you go. But I, I do think it's also, you know, it's about everyone being, as you say, it's about here are the options. Yeah. And and that's the way I would like to talk to my sons. You know, maybe they'll stay at home and look after their kids. Maybe their other halves will be the person who goes out to work. Maybe they both will. Who knows? The one thing I see, and, and again, this is probably a personal thing, and maybe I shouldn't go there, but I'm going to anyway. Um, is the one thing that bothers me, because I grew up with, again, it was more of a, a traditional my mother stayed at home and again it was so cruel because between my mother and my father my mother was the intelligent one i mean su super bright right she was invited to join mensa that kind of bright and but and she was working in a really secure job where my father wasn't he was a carpenter up on roofs in the winter you know if the weather was really bad they're out of work for a few weeks or between jobs really insecure she had well before they got married a job in the in the civil service she had to give that up when she got married. Yeah. I mean, that's that to me. I can't. So I, I just can't. Can't imagine how you couldn't be so angry with that. Um, I, but I grew up with again in terms of the relationship between the two of them. Uh, I, I never heard a crossword ever between them. Like she was the boss. She managed all the money, and and, and so that was my model. My wife had a very different one in terms of her parents. Um, and, and, and I think those kind of things affect how we see the world as well. And, 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 and oh yeah, the, the, the point I was going to make is that when my wife decided that she was, we've never had a separate bank account. And, and I think that's one of the key problems we have in this as well, is that there's a power imbalance that if one parent decides to give up, if the other parent and partner is holding the purse strings, that automatically gives them. Now, if they're both working, that's different. Yeah, 
I, I hear but you. If, if one decides to give up, now I know under the law that it's 50-50, but that's BS when it comes to the everyday, how we feel about these things. And, and that's something I would love to see to, to, to support, whichever part, and it's, it's mostly women, I, I get that, but it doesn't have to be. And I know people where the, the, the man stays at home because for different reasons, again, sometimes the woman. I know, I remember, uh, uh, her name was Grace. She was the head of O2. Her husband stayed at home because she was out earning most men in the country at the time. Um, and that was the right choice for them. But, but the thing is, is how do you address, it's not who stays at home. How do you address the power imbalance in the, in the everyday, in the, uh, can you transfer some more money to the account because yeah. uh, I, I need it for the shopping or I need it for this? You know, having to ask, that that's to me, problem. that's where the problem is. Not, yeah. not in the structure, but in, I, in those. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when you talk about your mom and dad, like what was really wrong there was the lack of choice. So it wasn't their choice that your dad would continue to work and your mom would stay at home. The choice was made for them. And that's what I think is wrong. Whatever mm. people choose to do is wonderful as long as it's a choice. Mm. And I think that's where we've had more restriction over the past 18 months is again, some of that choice has been taken away and it's been taken away through necessity. And that's what feels, you know, it's almost like going back 50 years, it just feels inherently unfair. And so it's about, well, how do we how do we reinstate that choice for people? And that's what I think is really important that we think about as a society. How are we making sure that, you know, absolutely in some homes, both parents will work and, you know, in other homes, one parent will work. But it's about making sure that people have a choice. I, yeah, and I, I don't have the answers, right? Yeah, no, um, I, no I, and, and I think the problem we have is nobody does. Or pe and the people in position are are reluctant because they don't see the the knock on effect. And I do I do think, and again, I'm put my hands up. This is just a personal thing. I do think the restrictions as they're applied, and I get the hindsight thing. But right now, we're, we've we've got foresight. We have all that data to say these restrictions go way beyond just health. They go to uh, parity. They go to mental health and so on. And I think we we need to to speak out a little bit more about how they're impacting ordinary everyday lives that, that are kind of hidden, that, that are not taken into account. However, we're not going to solve that problem here, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, that's just a, a, a personal bar stool that I have. Um, um, I, I never asked you. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up and what that was like. Yeah, of course. We just jumped right in. Um, we did. <laughs> where am I from? Can you not tell from my accent where I'm from? Well, I, I know you're Irish, but you've got this wonderful, wonderful. I don't. I want to say mid-Atlantic accent. It's. It's. I can't place it anywhere. I'm guessing so there's Dublin, a reason for that. Dublin accent. Yeah. No, there's a reason for that. So I was born in Cork, um, which you probably wouldn't have picked up on. No, but you... we did. <laughs> I, 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 I sound more Cork when I speak to my mom and dad. Um, <laughs> Born in yeah. Cork to a to a very Cork family. Yeah, um, mom and dad. Not everybody's born into privilege, you know. If you're born in Cork, <laughs> but it, it, it toughens you up. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't stay there for long, though. So when I was one, um, my dad moved to Dublin. Uh, so yeah. with his job, so we all moved. Um, my mum's parents had already moved to Dublin with my granddad's job. So a lot of my mom's family were living in Dublin. Um, we lived in Dublin until I was ten. And for the last couple of years, while I was, um, while we were living in Dublin, my dad was actually working in Saudi Arabia. So he was an accident and emergency consultant. Um, yeah. He's now retired, but he, so he spent a couple of years during the late 80s uh, when, you know, it was another recession here and yeah. times were tough and, and dad went out to work in Saudi for a couple of years. So my mom was in, in Dublin with four young kids. Mm. And so they they made the decision that if he could get a role back home, he would take it. And he did. And he got a job in Limerick. I don't think we'd ever been to Limerick before. Um, so at the, the ripe old age of 10, I came home from school one day and mum said, we've got some news. The good news is dad's coming home. The other news is we're moving. <laughs> so it was tough. Um, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a funny old age to move at. I was 10. My my brother was 14 uh, or almost 14. So that was, you know, it was probably even more difficult for him. Mm. 
and he was the only boy. I also have an older sister and a younger sister. My older sister was just going from uh, sixth class into secondary school, so she was twelve. So again, it was it was a difficult mm. enough age. I, um, and my younger sister was was five. So it was yeah, it was was um, an interesting time. And we were yeah. we were lucky in one regard. My mum had a, a cousin who she was very close to who was already living in Limerick. So we had kind of a, a family yeah. when we moved there. So that that was good. Um, but it was it was it's yeah. one of the. I can imagine if I brought that up with my kids at that when they were that age, they would have said, "Nice to see you home, Dad." But you know, Limerick off see you, you later. Go. Yeah, we're not moving. I've got my friends here, and we're not yeah. moving. You know, we lived with you in Saudi Arabia. Limerick is near. That's better, but you're on your own. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I see it now. I mean, my eldest is nearly 11. And so I think, God, what if what if we did that? What if we came home and yeah. went, guess what? We're moving to Mayo. I mean, he would just be like, yeah. I can't support Mayo. I'm a dub. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, so it was. Uh, now that said, we were we were probably anxious at the time about moving. I think yeah. we settled in certainly I settled in reasonably quickly it was maybe maybe a little bit easier for me in terms of the age that I was at um but I was also I was probably a bit of an introvert so mm. I still do like like my own space and like my own company mm. um so yeah it, it wasn't the easiest time but it was definitely formative how do you think it uh, you said formative actually I was just about to ask you how do you think it formed who you are now and in what ways um probably toughened me up a little bit probably took me out of my comfort zone and I have, I've probably been out of my comfort zone quite a lot since then and certainly you know I talk about this a little bit at work um in terms of change and how now I see the opportunity so every time there is a change I think a change this is this brings an opportunity but I didn't learn that when I was 10 you know mm. it probably took another 20 years after that for that to actually sink in so I do think it was, I mean, in hindsight, it was an opportunity. And we had, you know, went on to make many, many really good friends. I, I actually stayed in Limerick for university. So I, I loved it. My mom and dad still live there. I still have the same friends that I made in school and, and through my college years. Um, mm. So in hindsight, was it good for me? Yeah, I think I think it probably was. Mm. Um, but Isn't that, is that, That's interesting, though, as well, because and it's a recurring theme that those things that we don't want to do when we look back on them inevitably they're not inevitably sorry invariably they're positive experiences and that they've they've strengthened us some way or they've yeah you know more persistence more whatever it is the skills etc and, and i don't mean in terms of just even just those big life decisions it could be simple things like getting up to speak in front of a group of people is in the moment you don't want to do it, but when you do it afterwards. Afterwards, there's a positive. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, and I'm wondering how do we, it's it's a difficult one, I think, to, to I don't know that you teach people, but like, you're right. Like, I don't know that I'd have the guts to come home and tell the kids they're moving. And it's, you, and, and something like that, it's not going to be easy for a long time because it's not even just the fact that you're losing your friends because there was no social media back then is that and now you've got to find new friends and, and identify and your parents are probably going through change as well and 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 your, your father coming home from saudi there's an adaptation just to that alone so it's it's yeah i think sometimes if life doesn't impose these things on us it's we we'd be the worse off yeah and and you know what i guess because there was that added piece there was that piece that dad was coming home mm. I think that made it a more positive experience yes. for us. So it wasn't yes. like we were going from our normal family of six in Dublin yes. to being the same family of six in Limerick. We were getting dad back. And so yeah. Yeah. that did that, put that a very, very positive true. spin. Yeah, yeah. because I've talked to people who've had to move around because, say, a parent, usually again, the father was in the military, for example, or in a bank, right? Yeah, and there was a lot of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and, and that's a harder one because it's just the same, you know, from the child's perspective, it's just the same job in a different bank. Whereas for you, I guess, you were getting to see your father. It wasn't just about the job. It was, it was different. You were getting back together and the price you had to pay was moving to Limerick. Yeah. Sorry, and, and I, I should rephrase that. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't say that the, the price you had okay to pay price. was moving away from existing friends and exactly. making some wonderful <laughs> new friends in Limerick. 
exactly exactly yeah. um, and and it worked yeah. out you know and i think yeah. that's it like Changes happen. They happen for a reason, yeah. you know, and I would be very much of the opinion that, look, this is this is another change and we're just going to have to roll with it and yeah. and see what what it brings. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great attitude for sure. Tell me then about how you went from Limerick to sales. Talk to me about that journey. OK. Um, yeah. So I, I mentioned that I, I studied in Limerick. So I did a degree in UL. I studied business studies in French. I had a wonderful, wonderful four years in university. You know, I, I thought, mm. what's it going to be like spending my university years living at home with my mom and dad? Because we lived actually really close to the university. So I could walk to school every day. Um, nice. And we did have that conversation because I was like, I am yeah. losing out a little bit on the whole university experience by not moving away. And my mom and dad were really fair about it. And it was like, you know, obviously I had my own key. I could come and go as I pleased. And you know, I, re I remember the initial negotiation being around, well, you can come and go as you please, but if you were away for university, you'd be making your own meals, doing your own laundry. In hindsight, <laughs> none of that ever had to happen, but I did get all the benefits of of um, coming and going as I pleased. And, and so that was good from that perspective. But I also spent a lot of time away. Mm. So because I was studying French, I spent a semester in France, went to France for a summer. Um, I, I literally, I think I went to France for summer, came home, washed my clothes, swapped out my summer clothes, for my winter clothes and went back to France for a semester, mm. came back for a semester. Then I went to the States for a summer. Then I went yeah. back to the States after probably four or five months for um, like a work experience for my internship. So I spent nine months working in Colorado, skied in the winter, was a swimming pool in the summer. Like just had a, it was such a great existence. Um yeah, I, I miss university. I think we probably all feel like that at some point. Mm. And then I did my final year. And after my final year, I thought, well, I'll work for a couple of years. I'll move to Dublin. I'll get a job. I'll work for a couple of years. And then I'll go to Australia. So that was always mm. the plan. Yeah. Because I loved traveling. Yeah. I, I wonder if we knew when we'd look back at those days when you had that freedom and those first experiences in Colorado and France, that we would have made more of them. When I say more of them, that we would have made more time to soak it up. And, and, and where that's coming from was, I remember at the 2017 All-Ireland Final, Galway and Waterford, and I was on the pitch. I was there taking some photographs. And uh, I saw Joe Canning. Joe Canning, I, I don't know how much you're into hurling, right? So forgive me if I'm uh, over-explaining. Um, how much do you know about her? How, how much of a sport is it for you? Um, I? I so I coach a hurling team. Um, but oh, I you, do not have a. Sorry, I saw I, that it's in, uh, <laughs> in, in in yeah. I thought that was. Do you know why I assumed it was a football team? Uh, Doctor Croaks, right? Uh, uh, out of Kilmacud, yeah, Kilmacud Croaks. Um, Kilmacud so, Croaks, sorry. Um, because I, I assume it was football because it's Dublin. But yeah, duh. well, I, I I actually do both. Um, so in yeah. our nursery groups, we we coach both hurling and football. Okay, well I've got man. But I, but I I don't I don't claim to be an aficionado. I'm not from a GAA background. Um, yeah, I do it because it's the sport that my kids play, and I think it's really important to be involved. Got it. And so back to 2017 on the pitch, and I'll always remember. So Joe Canning, one of the greatest players, and I'm from Kilkenny, right? So that 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 that's. <laughs> Me, you know, it's a lot for me to say that, but one of the greatest hurlers in the country by far never won anything, and they just won an all Ireland final. Probably will never be there again. Well, that's not true, but certainly win one because they, they didn't win last year. But I remember watching him and I followed him around with the camera, and he just walked around the pitch, just looking at the crowd. That was it. He knew that this is five minutes, 10 minutes he was going to have that never he may never have it again. Yeah. And it was, it was, ah, to, to, just to see his face, it was just, I'm soaking this in. I'm, 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 I'm trying to kind of just capture every single face yeah. in the crowd, every moment. And it was magical to see because Incredible. he knew. And I just wondered if, if we did that more in life when we had had those experiences where you just you, you were going through something because you don't, when you're young, you don't know that you're going through something special. You only know that in hindsight and you kind of wish you could say it to people, I guess the only difference is now people have cameras and, 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 and all, all that, that I certainly didn't have. But yeah, I, I have those regrets that 
that I didn't walk around the pitch more often. Yeah, that's that's a really nice way of putting it. And I think, you know, you say now people have cameras, but then do we all spend our time just taking photos, but that's the flip not side of it. soaking it in, you know, and it's yeah. great. Ten years later, you look back and you look at the photos, but do you remember how you felt? Yeah, you're so right. You go to a concert, it's the thing that really drives me crazy. You're standing there and there's people with their phones up for an entire performance. Apart from the fact they're blocking your view. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of thinking, you're here. Just so You're looking yeah. at the Eagles. I remember seeing the Eagles live, and then yeah, it was only shortly after that. Uh, what's his name died? Um, the one one of the founders of the the, the lead singers, not Glenn. Fr yeah, uh, not. Uh, I can't think of his name. After, it escapes me now. But yeah, he died shortly after, and then you kind of go, you'll you know, you'll never see that lineup again. Yeah, and it's like people had seen the Beatles live, and. You know, I think for, for that person who was standing in front of you recording it all so they could put it on YouTube, you know, now they can watch their YouTube video, but do they remember what it felt like being there? No, and that's it. They won't know what it felt like. They'll remember they saw it because they have the recording that I saw it, but you're so right. And and, and, and emotion is, it are, they are the somatic, you know, it's, it's the highs and lows of emotions that we remember in life, not where we've been. Absolutely. And, and, you know, they say that, isn't it? Um, people won't remember what you said, but they yeah. will remember how you made them feel. Yeah, yeah. I, lo I love that. I love that. I saw it last night watching the football. You see, in the penalty shootout, there's people there with, again, oh. with the phones trying to capture. You can't can watch it. It'll be on YouTube with far better cameras than you've got. Yeah. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah. It's like it'll be all over yeah. the news for a week. You're right. Fine. You're just You'll catch it later. Anticipate the tension, feel the tension, enjoy it. Man, oh, sorry, you, you, it's another soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you're, anyway. you're right. And, you know, it's it's funny. Um, like we were talking about, did we enjoy it enough? I, I do still have so many great memories, like so, mm. so many. And even now, sometimes a song will come on or I'll, mm. I'll play a song on Spotify, you know, that we don't mm. listen to the radio as much anymore. So music mm. doesn't just come on. We ch but, yeah. uh, you know, something will come up or I'll listen to a playlist and I'll just say, God, I remember this song. And it brings back like a flood of memories yeah. from, from those yeah. college years. Yeah. Or do you get that maybe with a smell sometimes? You'll get a smell Absolutely. something. And you it's just like, inspire, it's just, you're just back there. Yeah. Wow. Okay, we've got as far as college. We you're, you're in the UL. <laughs> Before we're, slow, we're slowly getting there. Yeah. Um, so so yes, I had said I was. I decided I would work just for a couple of years, and then I would go to Australia and travel because that was the well-worn path of the Irish at that point. Everybody was going. Everyone who was anyone was going to Australia. Um, so I I did my degree in business and French, but I specialized in HR. Because someday I wanted to run my own company. And after many conversations with my dad, I thought this was the way to go in terms of a, a major. Um, so I looked for a job in HR and I had worked previously. So the experience that I had in college was in sales. I worked in like a travel company selling trips around Europe um, when I was in Australia or when I was in America. And so I went to meet a couple of recruitment companies to look for a job in HR. And the first one said to me, I've thought about recruitment. And I was like, mm, not really. And they were like, it would be a really good fit for you. I think you'd be good. So I had four recruitment company appointments and every single one of them asked me, have you thought about recruitment? So by the time I got to the second one, I thought I better start saying yes, um, because this might be my option. So by the third or fourth interview, I was nailing this whole idea of looking for a role in recruitment. And that's what I did. I, yeah. Like so many recruiters, I fell into the job. And I thought this will be a good stopgap and I'll get some experience and then I'll move into HR. So this mm. was still the, the plan and the ambition. And I loved it. I loved recruitment. And mm. the part of it I loved most was the sales element. So I loved dealing with customers. I loved pitching to them about why they should use us instead of other companies. I loved closing, closing the deal. I loved winning. I liked seeing my name on the top of a leaderboard. And I realized you know, it probably took a year or so, but I realized, actually, I don't want to work in HR. Mm. This is what I like doing. This yeah. I, I'm not going to get the same feeling working in HR. So I, I pretty quickly realized this was the path I wanted to go down. And I worked for a company at the time. You, you might remember the Marlborough Group. Mm. 
So it was a recruitment company that went into receivership in oh. 2002 when I worked there. It was in Manpower, um, is that? No, was that Manpower is, it was, was, yeah, so, yeah. Um, Manpower became false or something along the way. That was, yeah, that was a, an old Manpower that became false yeah. and there was a different Manpower, uh, Manpower group yeah. in the US. But, yeah. but um, yeah, so the company went into receivership. The leaders had left and had were, were going about setting up their own business, which I then joined. Um, mm. So I, I moved from Marlborough, the PPG group, which was the, the part of Marlborough that I worked in. And I was one of the first people when, when Sigmar Recruitment set up. So that was the company that the leadership team had set up. And I joined them on day one. And that was where I got my first experience of managing a team, which in hindsight was something you could maybe describe as an unmitigated disaster. But that might be I wanna, too strong. I, I, I want to talk to you about that because it's a common, it's a common conversation. It's that first year when you go from being an IC to leading a team. It's like it's for a lot of people, it's it's a difficult transition. It's like they go in, seem to go in with a perception of what it should be, and it takes that year from to figure out it's not like that at all. And I was curious to know what your experience is. Yeah, so I mean, my experience was that I recruited, so I recruited my own team. I didn't move into managing a team or I didn't move into managing peers that I had worked alongside previously. So we were growing as a company. And so I was in a position where I was able to hire new people in. And actually I did it in conjunction with a colleague of mine. So two of us had set up one division in the company and we were now recruiting people. I mean, I think in hindsight, we would have structured it differently. We probably would have set ourselves up for success better. It, I mean, it wasn't an unmitigated disaster, but it didn't it didn't go that well. Maybe the, the people that we hired, maybe they weren't right at that time for that job. Maybe we weren't the right managers for them. Um, we certainly weren't managing the same team probably a year, 18 months later. Second time around when we recruited, I guess, newer people onto the team, it did work better. We did mm. grow the team. You know, we got to a point where it did work. But in those first years, God, you make so many mistakes. I wonder, is it like being a parent and you look back and think, God, all the mistakes we made on our first one, we were overly cautious about this and we wouldn't give them a soother because of that or, you know, all the things that you think you're doing right. But really, in hindsight, maybe you just need to relax a little bit. And that's so true. That's be more kind and and caring and think more about maybe more about the people that you're managing and less about how am I going to be a brilliant manager, you know, I think there is a learning journey that people have to go on and it's not always the easiest. And it's great if you're surrounded by people that can share that advice with you, but you still have to go on that journey yourself. What did you discover about yourself in that journey? Um, it's a long time ago now, but I think one of the big things, and we actually, we have a sign in our in our Dublin office and it says, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And that for me has become like, that has summed up a lot of the opportunities that I've had. So I haven't always won, but there has always been an opportunity to learn. Mm. And I think some of the key learnings from that, I was I was probably not as focused on the people as I should have been. I was probably more focused on the numbers. And mm. I think in time, as you as you move through your sales management career, you do understand that yeah, and you see people as you move through your journey, you see people who just manage the numbers and you understand that there are sales managers, sales leaders who are very numbers focused and yeah. there are others who are very people focused. And it really requires a balance. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you have to manage the business and you have to manage the numbers. Yeah. But if you manage your people in the right way, that becomes a lot easier. I've noticed, um, actually, somebody said it, uh, on LinkedIn about you, but I've noticed it as well in our short time today is that you're a very positive person that you seem to re- you seem to frame so much in life in its best light. And I'm wondering if that's something you're very conscious of or were you always like that even as a child? Gosh, I don't know. I would say um, my husband is a far more positive person than me. So maybe some of that has rubbed off on me. Um, he certainly views the world through rose tinted glasses and, and sees everything in the most positive light. So I, I would say possibly some of that has rubbed off on me. Um, but I also think there's, there's probably not a huge benefit to not 
thinking the best about people to not looking for the best in people to not looking for the best in a situation mm. um so and maybe that's something that i've learned over the years as well like mm. everyone has something good in them and and for most people it's the majority of their personality and you know we we talk about something we talk about at work where we talk about like assume positive intent mm. and if you do assume positive intent in every interaction with everybody that you work with it actually makes a huge difference you know and mm. the reality is we're all going about our jobs we're trying to do our best we're trying to do our best for our teams for our customers for the people that we work with our business partners our stakeholders but that's everybody's story everybody is just trying to do their best and it's important to remember that when you're going through a challenging time whether it's with a supplier with a customer with a business partner with your manager with one of your team you know everyone is on their own journey and everyone is doing their best yeah yeah and i think that's when people have a difficult time as well as when they're they're doing that but then they can also feel quite alone and that's why we need to pick each other up because that's that's the one thing i've learned is that you just don't know what other people are going through yeah you really given, don't you and, and particularly now like i think this is the time where it's important that we check ourselves and think like the last mm. year has been very difficult for everybody and mm. even more difficult for some mm. and, and yeah. we don't know that because we're not even in the office together we don't see each other you know some people are really suffering with that and then we have all this excitement around going back to the office and you know, I, I don't mind sharing that personally. I'm a little bit anxious about it, actually. Right. And I think there are probably others who feel mm. anxious about returning to the office. Specifically, what aspect of it? I'm, I'm curious because I don't have an office to go back to. I'm, okay, you're back in your office. Years, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I have an office, but it's, it's, it's an apartment near where I live. So I just don't have that office and apartment, obviously, when I was, was you know, going in to train people. But that was different because you weren't going into, it wasn't an office like, you know, you're in and out, it's different. So I'm curious to know when you say you have some uh, anxiety around it, what is it specifically about that's, that might be causing that? Yeah, so I think, and maybe my story is a little bit different because I haven't been in my office for over two years. Um, mm. So it's been even longer than most people because I went on maternity leave at right. the start of May of 2019. And so I never got back. I returned remotely um, in April of last year and I thought, Gosh, it's going to be so strange working at home for a couple of weeks before I get oh. back to the office. And mm. here I am, you know, a year and a half later, still working at home. And so yeah. it, it has be, it has become a comfort zone. And during that time, my my role has changed, my org has changed, and this is now where I do my work. This is how I work. I work remotely. I'm used to it, and and I it's going to feel like a change being in mm. the office. And also, you know, I'm. I hate wearing masks, so I like being outside or at home, um, but I just, I'm very claustrophobic. So even putting a mask on, I'm thinking, if that's what it's going to be like, what is that going to be like going into meetings? I, I don't even really know what that setup looks like yet, yeah. because I haven't explored returning to the office um, from my yeah. perspective. But I presume, you know, when you go anywhere, when you go to get your hair done or get your nails done, um, you know, you wear a mask. So yeah. I presume when we're indoor, but yeah, so I, I am a little bit anxious yeah. about it, even just yeah. it's going to feel strange. Now, at the same time, I can't wait to see people. I, you know, I mm. do love that running into people in the corridor, or grabbing a coffee or and I've missed that. I've missed that opportunity to connect with people, particularly as, you know, I have I have new people on my team, some of whom I've never met. And mm. I really want the opportunity to meet with them, because from my perspective, it must be very hard to buy into a leader that you've never met. Yeah. in person you know so i i do look forward to the opportunity to spend time with people but yeah there's a there's a bit of anxiety there as well that's understandable i i guess yeah because and, and a reason why i asked it i could imagine people different people having that anxiety for different reasons and as yeah. you're that yeah is is, is it another angle on it and uh, you might not even recognize some of your teams because you've only ever seen them without masks online <laughs> i know <laughs> i know yeah, you'll like, oh my goodness. You'll bump into one of them and they'll go on. Listen, I'm looking for a Carl. Is she, is she around anywhere? <laughs> yeah. and, and and honestly, like I saw I saw one of my team recently and I was like, gosh, I've, I've forgotten how tall he was. You know, yeah. it's like the great COVID, the great leveler. We're all on yeah. a Zoom call. Everyone is the same height. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Carl, I'm really I'm conscious we're we're just up on time and I wanted to ask you a couple of very, very quick questions before we go. More of a personal nature, because I, I see some lovely uh I presume they're your kids pa uh, paint artwork 
on the yeah. wall behind you. Um, if your house was burning down and, and your, your family are safe, you've got your phone and you know, that kind of thing, what one item would you, would you grab running um, out? Nothing. Nothing? Um, well, I suppose maybe. The, the thing that's important to me is I have four framed uh, casts of the boys' feet that oh, my right. lovely sister-in-law got for me when they were very small. So they were each three weeks old and I had their feet cast. And uh, so it's a 3D visual of their tiny, tiny oh, baby feet. And I, actually, I treasure them now. But when I'm living in a house with five grown men and they're all stomping around the place, I will treasure them even more. So if I was to take something <laughs> and, and even the boys know it. So when they play football in the hall, which they're not allowed to do, they always go, be careful of the feet. <laughs> but they know that's what's important to me uh, but that's yeah. about all that's about all that is important to yeah. me that'll that'll be misinterpreted someday when somebody's talking about women or sorry not women sorry winning i don't know <laughs> oh, sorry, winning winning <laughs> and, and, and they'll say yeah my mother used to always say be careful of defeat <laughs> So that, that's just a bad dad joke forget <laughs> that it. was a bad dad joke <laughs> it really was i know i know um yeah, I'm a, my, my daughter's birthday is today. She's 20 today and she grows. Oh, happy birthday. Go, yeah. And uh, yeah, no longer a teenager, eh? Time wow. flight. Oh, Lord. Anyway, sorry, that was the second last question. Final question. When your time on this planet is done and you're shuffling off this mortal coil and somebody decides to write a book about your life, what would you like the title to be? Gosh, I'm sure nobody will as a starting point so we can start there i'm not i'm not sure that it's book worthy um but i guess like how, how would i like to be remembered um is as somebody who was brave and kind that's nice i like that yeah and 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 to your point about nobody will write a book about you um we we talked about how you don't know what people are going through. I also believe that everybody is a fascinating story. Everybody. Maybe you're, maybe you're right. So you never know. You never, you never know. know. Anyway, <laughs> listen, Carol Leary, I want to thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. And I've thoroughly oh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much, Paul. It was lovely to be here. Thank you so much.